0: Explode your to-be-read pile with the New Release Index, your new best friend for finding the best new books curated by the book nerds here at book riot it will help you keep track of the upcoming books we think should be on your radar you can filter by genre what's trending among other subscribers and save books to your own watch list and you can check out the demo at bookriot.com slash new releases that's bookriot.com slash new releases happy browsing (laughs)
1: Welcome to Hey YA. From great new books to favorite classic reads, news stories to the latest and on-screen adaptations, Hey YA is here to elevate the exciting world of young adult lit. Hey YA is a book grant podcast hosted by Erica Ezafetti and me, Tears of Price. We are recording this on September 8th. Hello, Erica. Hi, how are you? I am great. How about you?
2: I'm doing well. Um, I've probably I feel like we always talk about the weather. I want it to be like fall temperatures even though technically fall hasn't started but i'll 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 survive <laughs> i don't know, i don't know how things are over around your neck of the woods but it's like still kind of hot over here for no reason
1: you know we are escaping the horrible heat wave that mm. it seems like the rest of the country is going through right now and it is yeah. feeling appropriately fall like like highs in like the upper 60s and wow yeah i'm i'm into it that's amazing i'm happy for you friend thank you <laughs> yes. thank you it's not quite cold enough for me to give up my working stocks and you know put on the sweaters right. but they have right. been you know pulled out from from the boxes and i'm thinking about it so it has
2: begun it has, it has. the falling, the falling.
1: yes the falling <laughs> which sounds like you know we're falling or something yeah.
2: but you know it's it's
1: very autumnal around here already
2: autumnal one of my favorite adjectives yes it's <laughs> such a good one <laughs> amazing so good amazing amazing i know before we were before we started recording i was telling you about how my uh, cat had like a rager last night like a little party without <laughs> me i woke up to toys strewn everywhere a one of them across my person in bed
1: i am first that she didn't wake you up <laughs>
2: Yeah, that prob she actually did wake me up by, like, she, like, bites my hand. It's a behavioral thing I've tried to work on. So, like, she she was partying pretty hard, and she did bite me and wake me up. But she didn't wake me up with the toy. She- oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, she's terrible. I read somewhere that you, like, when they bite you, you kind of, like, scream or, like, you know, yelp or something so they know it hurts. But when I do that I feel like she just bites me harder. So I don't know. <laughs> oh vindictive.
1: I my cat Dolly Purton, she <laughs> when she gets into a mood, she'll, you know, like dig her claws into me or she'll start biting me. Mm. And, and I know mm. it's because she's like she's like, oh we're playing. And that's how like she would play yeah. with her brothers. But I'm like, no, you can't play like that with me. And um sometimes it's hard. Like I have to like swat at her with a book to get her to like let go. Yeah. But I don't know. I still kind of love her.
2: I like how you swatted her with a book. It's, it's keeping with Book Riot. Fitting. She's a demon,
1: but <laughs> I do like her. So...
2: Yeah! The demon I live with. That's a book title. Exactly. That's every everybody who has a cat
1: is... Yeah. They would get it. <laughs> so...
2: Yeah. They understand little demons. But yes... <laughs> Yes.
1: <laughs> well, we we won't just talk about cats today. We will talk about books. And I yes. think, um, actually, I'm, I'm excited about this news story that we have because it's so fascinating and nerdy. And if you like, um, like, publishing insider stuff and, like, history, this is a really fascinating story. So... It is a link to um, a radio show, and it is about the writer Sarah Elizabeth, who is the author of the Art of Fantasy, which um, comes out um, this month. And she basically has like it's it's a book with, with like all the art of fantasy novels and and books from like you know the last. Probably 100 years. And um, she wanted to include the iconic A Wrinkle in Time cover. So um, even if you've never read A Wrinkle in Time, if you've probably seen this cover, especially if you were like, you know, Gen X or millennial. It's a wrinkle in time, the 1977 version. It was like the mass market Dell paperback edition. Actually, it was 1976. Excuse me. And it has like the creepy centaur man, but he like also has wings and then like the red eyes. And there's like this weird green sort of like alien landscape. And this was the cover that was, like, in my school library. And let me tell you, I avoided this book for so many years. Because I was like, it's so creepy looking. It's scary. I don't like hard sci-fi. And, like, A Wrinkle in Time is sci-fi. But I would say it's not hard hard sci-fi and so yeah I was like I was in high school before I picked up this book because I did not like this cover but whether you like it or you hate it it is very distinctive yes and yes yeah, so and it's weird and I don't necessarily think that it matches like the story but I think it, it very doesn't. much it doesn't at all. no <laughs> <It> doesn't. um <laughs> thank you for confirming no yeah but it was a pretty influential cover because it was an influential book. And yeah. so this author, Sarah Elizabeth, wanted to include the cover in her, her book on the art of fantasy. And so she had to find out who, who painted it because it's a painting. Mm-hmm. And she was like Googling it and she couldn't figure out who the illustrator was. And so this like just led her on like this insane sort of journey to find out who painted painting that ended up on the cover of this book. And it was really wild because like it was 1976 that this book came out. Like Madeline Lengel, of course is his past. And, like, everybody who worked on this book, almost everybody who worked on this book is, like, no longer with us. Mm-hmm. And, like, nobody knew who illustrated this cover. And she actually did get a hold of the publisher. And the publisher was like, oh, those are old files. We didn't keep those. Wow. But mild spoiler alert, she does figure out who who illustrated the cover. But you should definitely listen to the story or you can read the transcript. It's very engaging, very interesting. I'm very impressed. Um, She is quite the sleuth. So, yeah, uh-huh. definitely like that was just kind of a delightful little news story
2: a cute little bookish news story in the corner of book world i do remember this cover it's funny we read a wrinkle in time for class and it had a different cover probably because that one would scare the bejesus (laughs) out of us we were like 10 Um, all the parents (laughs) would be like um
1: what is my child reading what are
2: you what do you have my kid reading bro like come on but I do still remember, I was just trying to link to the picture that I was familiar with. I do still remember this cover though. It's like deep in my subconscious. Yeah. <laughs> probably because of like when I passed by it in the school library so many times. And if it was, if it were left up to me, I probably wouldn't have picked it up if this was the cover, but it is very distinctive. Like you said, it is very distinctive and even iconic in a way because a wrinkle in time is so influential. So. Yeah, really interesting episode. I'm glad that you found that news story. I'll also include a little book riot post we did that just goes over, kind of basically ranks the Wrinkle in Time covers throughout the years. So that's a fun little addition to this. Yeah, yeah. I I feel like that that book has
1: not had a lot of great covers over the years.
2: No, it has not.
1: Like <laughs> it has not. The original cover is not bad with like the, the rings. No. And then I just felt like it got progressively worse. And then like only recently has have like the covers improved. So that is that is good. But yeah, I I think like the Wrinkle in Time was like, you know, the book that A lot of people when I was growing up were like, oh, my God, this book is so amazing. This book is incredible. This book is influential. And I'd look at the cover and I'd just be like, nope.
2: (laughs) So. It doesn't match it. Uh, The one I'm used to that I'm just like used to seeing, I think, because we use this edition in our class, is number 10 in that list. It's kind of folkloric looking. Yeah. Picture frame. That one's a bit better. Yeah, <laughs> you're like, that's a little, that's an improvement. right? <laughs> but yeah, a lot of these covers, I feel like they, they're nice to look at because, you know, the artist who did them has, you know, artistic skill and stuff like that. But I don't know if they really, like, reflect what's inside the book so much. Yeah.
1: Well, justice for a wrinkle in time covers. Like, let's, let's just get it. <laughs> let's just get it a good cover and and, and call it good.
2: Exactly. I agree.
1: Well, that's really fun. So we definitely recommend checking that out. Um, We are going to talk some more about books. But first, let's hear from our first sponsor.
0: Explode your to be read pile with the new release index, your new best friend for finding the best new books. Curated by the book nerds here at Book Riot, it will help you keep track of the upcoming books we think should be on your radar. You can filter by genre, what's trending among other subscribers, and save books to your own watch list. And you can check out the demo at bookriot.com newreleases new releases. That's bookriot.com newreleases new releases. Happy browsing!
1: Okie doke. So before we dive into the meat of our episode today, I wanted to let you know about something cool going on at Book Riot. Book Riot's editorial team is writing for casual and power readers alike over at the Deep Dive. So you can find weekly stories that inform and inspire readers, drawn from our collective experiences. Power readers, teachers, librarians, booksellers, bookish professionals, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So recent stories from for free subscribers have included um, like a history of chain letters, which you know were quite quite the thing back when we were were kids. Yeah. Uh, behind the scenes look at Book Riot's managing editor what her day and her life looks like the anatomy of an Obama summer reading list and more so paid subscribers also get access to exclusive content including a mega list of books our readers think you should add to our TBR and access to community features including the ability to comment Uh, we haven't had a comment section in Book Riot in a while so this is the only way that you can comment Uh, (laughs) during the month of September all new free subscribers will be entered to win Parable of the Sower by Octavia Butler plus five mystery books from the deep dive um, to enter simply start a free subscription to the deep dive no payment method is required so you can go to bookriot.substack.com it's bookriot.substack.com and no purchase is necessary to enter so hopefully you check out the deep dive
2: yay i just wrote a i just wrote a post for the deep dive uh, that is a free one about Beyonce and Western lit Ooh. and how those two things connect. Yeah. Fun. So not going to be Okay. Yes. It was not just an excuse to talk about Beyonce, <laughs> but also kind of maybe an excuse to talk about Beyonce.
1: But also if you needed one.
2: <laughs> yes. If you <laughs> exactly. I'm glad you understand me,
1: but yes, check it out. Yay. All right. So today, I'm kind of excited about our topic today. Another great Erica topic here. We are going to be talking about the independent publishers of YA. Before we dive into that, though, I want to just like make a little quick sort of distinction here. So um, when we talk about indie publishers in this episode, we're not talking about self-publishing. And sometimes indie publishing kind of gets used interchangeably to mean like both independent publishers and also self-publishing. So what we're talking about today is indie publishers, which are small publishing houses or presses um, that are independent from major corporations, and they are putting out some awesome, awesome books. So if you're not familiar with publishing. And this might be a little bit more publishing insider knowledge than maybe you want. So I'll try to keep this brief. Um, But basically, um, in publishing in the US, there's what's known as the Big Five. And um, they used to be the Big Six, but now they are the Big Five. And they are like the five major publishing houses in the industry. So they are Simon & Schuster, um, Macmillan, Hachette, Penguin Random House, and HarperCollins. And they are, you know, they're pretty big, pretty big guys. They they're owned by major corporations and they put out lots and lots and lots and lots of books um, with many um, imprints each year. But they're not the only, you know, game in town, which is good. Um, and one of our Book Riot contributors, Kendra Winchester, has a really great piece on the importance of indie presses, especially in our um, current publishing landscape right now. And Erica has dropped the link to that in the show notes. But there are also some really great smaller presses. Um, some of them are smaller publishers but they still you know are like affiliated with like a larger corporation so not exactly independent but then there's like a lot of really great independent presses that are putting out a lot of really great books and i mean if you don't pay attention to like who's publishing your books which like would be fine and legit because there's a lot of them out there um you know maybe you won't recognize these names but you'll certainly recognize the books that they are putting out There's so many so many great ones Mm
0: mm-hmm Mm-hmm.
1: And I think like you and you and I started talking about this. Like we were both like, oh, there's there there are definitely a lot of independent publishers of YA out there. But like I I if you had been like, how many are there? Tears. I'm not sure if I would have been like, oh, there's yeah. this many. Um, but when I was sitting down to like make the list for this episode, I was like, wow, oh, there's more than I think I first realized.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Same. And uh, I'm glad you had compiled that list because as I had said. As I was saying before we started recording today, I had a couple in my mind when I thought about this topic, and they are really, like, killing it. Yeah. But I definitely didn't think of all of these. And sometimes, even as someone who works in the book world, such as myself, sometimes it's hard to keep track of who is still indie and who hasn't been, like, absorbed by a bigger, you know, big five publishing house, which is fine, of course, but it's just, like, and then the big the big five, they all have like their own imprints. Sometimes like some some things I was looking up, I thought like, oh, this is an indie press. And then I find out it's actually an imprint of one of the big five or something, which, again, is fine. Right. But it's just, you know, it's a it's lot. little bit of stuff to untangle. Yeah, it's a lot going on behind the scenes. Yeah, well, and like, yeah,
1: that's a good, like a good example of that is Running Press, which used to be an independent press out of Philadelphia, and they have since been purchased by Hachette. So, you know, the Running Press, like Running Press Teens, like that's a YA imprint. Um, they're still putting out books this year. Like they have a new release out this month called Fault Lines by Nora Shalloway Carpenter that looks amazing. But it's, it's technically, you know, part of Hachette now. So um, we didn't include them. But um and then there was one house that I was like, oh, I seriously thought that was an imprint of a larger house. And then I was um surprised to find out that they were independent, and that's um holiday house, and they put out yeah. children's books. Um and they put out um a book that I think we just talked about last week, The Fall of Wit Rivera by yeah. uh, Crystal Maldonado. So there that's the publisher for that. Let me just go through some of these because you'll probably start to recognize. So, Quirk books, um, you will know them by their most famous YA series title, which is Ransom Riggs Miss Peregrine's Home for Miss Peregrine's Home for Something Children.
2: How Am I blanking on this? Oh my gosh! I know we're both blanking. Miss Peregrine's Home for Wayward is it Wayward Children? I want to say it's oh Wayward, gosh. but it's some. It there's an adjective. Peculiar children. Peculiar
1: children. Peculiar. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, I um, think there's
2: a wayward in and McGuire's. Yes, one of those books. Okay, yes, so, peculiar yes. children. I had to Google it. Quirk
1: Books has <laughs> yeah, and they they publish more than just Miss Peregrine's, but that was probably like the most famous Chronicle Books out of San Francisco. They um have they mostly do like stationary and gifts and like art books but then they also have a children's book imprint and they do have some YA um it's not I
0: mm-hmm. would say
1: super extensive but some of their YA that they have um they're like, you know, award winners, and so they're they're pretty well known in that regard. Like Eric Gansworth's Apple Skin to the Core, which was a prince honor, and a national book award finalist. That is a chronicle book, so that's pretty awesome. Page Street is relatively new. And they have been putting – and I say relatively, like, they've been around for probably, like, the last, I don't know, six, seven years. They've been putting out some really good YA stuff. Um, Same with Peachtree. I think Peachtree has been around for a little bit longer. But um, they've really just started branching out in um, YA within, like, the last five or six years. And um, they're out of Atlanta. And um, I know that one of their earlier YA books was like they were licensing um, Australia in YA and they were bringing it over to the US, which is pretty awesome. Interesting. Um, Yeah. And I want to say, too, like that is the cool thing about some of these indie presses is like, yes, they are, you know, acquiring... New and original work by YA authors here in the US. But some of the yeah. important work that they are doing is bringing over, um, you know, Australian or UK or Irish um, voices that, um, you know, they aren't yeah. licensed to be published here in the US and the big, big publishers aren't necessarily, you know, picking them up. And then that's what these, some of these indie presses are doing, which is awesome.
2: That's what kind of like one of the things that, Kendra Winchester, in the article she wrote, talks about as being one of the reasons, one of the benefits of smaller presses, which is um, taking a risk on books that bigger publishers might not take a risk on as far as like, say, if they need to be translated, they're coming from maybe even another English, majority English speaking country like UK or Australia, but just hasn't been, you know, brought to the American audiences um, and then also they they take more chances on books by authors from marginalized identities too so
1: yeah that's um
2: her article is great so read that but that's just like a little little preview a little excerpt from um some of the benefits she listed as belonging to or Just, like, the good things that we get out of smaller presses.
1: Absolutely. And, like, that brings me to um, one of the newer ones on the list is um, Levine Curito, which... Was founded by Arthur A. Levine, who was a scholastic editor for many years. And so he has has founded this press, this indie press, and they have been killing it with their books lately.
2: They have been killing the game. What? Like, they have been messing it up in the best way. Side note, I just realized because I have. um, I know we looked at a couple a few books ourselves and we listed a few from these indie publishers. Um, but I'm also on the uh Levine Carido uh website just to look at like more of them. And I just realized that okay, so this is a little side note, but I volunteered as a mentor for this nonprofit organization called Girls Right Now. Have I talked to you
1: about them before? Yeah, you have. You mentioned it before.
2: Okay. Okay. So it's basically like, um, just for people who, I don't remember when I mentioned it, if, if, we, if we were recording or not, but just so you know, they are a nonprofit organization based in New York City. So they pair potential mentees. I think the age limit is like 24. Um, people who are interested in writing and they do girls and other gender minorities, non-binary people, trans people, stuff like that. And they, They help you, like whatever kind of writing you want to do, whether it's poetry, fiction, nonfiction, or career, like, you know, college applications, career stuff, any kind of writing, they pair you with mentors. So I was a mentor. And so for last school year, we all had our groups, like we had different cohorts or whatever, just to make it more wieldly because there are a lot of participants, a lot of mentees, a lot of mentors. I'm saying all this. To say that on the Levine Carrillo site, I just realized that one of the, one of my fellow mentors was published by them because um, I'm on the site. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> she was hella cool. Um, her name is, so the book is called What the Jaguar Told Her. Her name is Alexandra V. Mendez.
1: Oh, that's so neat.
2: I mean. That's why I was like, oh, wait, I know her. <laughs> yeah, they've been putting out so many books, and so many of
1: them are award winners. Like we talked about, yeah. "When Angels Left the Old Country" by Sasha Lamb. Like that's one of their books.
2: "A Snake Falls to Earth" yes. by Darcy Little Badger. "A Lots Away" by Darcy Little Badger.
1: Yes, and they've been publishing so many translations too, which is really exciting. Mm-hmm. So just really doing exciting, exciting stuff absolutely another indie publisher lee and low they are pretty well known in the industry for being an independent publisher um, that focuses on diverse children's books which is awesome and so they put out ya books and then one of their um, imprints um, which used to be its own indie press um, but has a been since absorbed into Lee and Lois, Cinco Puntos Press, um, which um, has been putting out some really great YA, like hard hitting, Mm -hmm. incredible. Um, They were, they started in Texas, I believe. So they have like a focus on like um, Mexican American and sort of like that borderland experience, like fiction that really speaks to that. But that's not the only stuff that they put out, but that's kind of like what they have been putting out. I mentioned Holiday House. They also do great children's books. Um, there's Orca Books. They're out of Canada. I'm not as familiar with their books because I think it's it's a little bit more Canadian-focused, but they are some good ones. Yeah. Um, and then, oh, Entangled Teen, which you probably have heard of because they publish um, Tracy Wolf's Crave series, which has been incredibly popular. I have not read it, but it's the one with the Twilight lookalike mm-hmm.
2: cover. <laughs> so, um, yeah, there's just a lot out there. Yeah, there's a lot, thankfully. Absolutely. And supporting these presses means they can release more. It's just good. Like, I'm just like for more books. And I love, like, the again, the big five publishing houses obviously love a lot of the books that they put out. But indie presses, like, you know, you have different people with different experiences who... We'll see a book, like, see the potential in different kinds of stories. So it's just, like, you know, even more different stories from what we're used to. So I'm all for more books, even though I know I can't read them all, but I want them. Yeah. And I will have them.
1: (laughs) And I think, you know... There, there are some, you know, that are smaller than others, for sure. Like, mm-hmm. one book, one one that we didn't really talk about as much in my huge list right there is Source Sourcebooks. Um, they are technically indie. Yeah. They were started in Naperville, Illinois. Um, the reason I didn't mention them is because they've gotten really big, and um, they put out a lot of really great YA. Um, everything from, like, you know, Rachel Griffin's um, books to, you know, Claire Legrand's um YA fantasy like they just they put out a lot of really good stuff Um but they have gotten mm-hmm. pretty pretty big it, so much so that I believe this has how it used to be I'm not sure if it's still now Um their editorial department is actually based in New York City even though everything else is based in in Naperville Il- Illinois
2: so oh so they're big big yeah New York is expensive, right? What? New York is very okay. expensive. So, so they've made it. So maybe they're gonna be. Maybe we're gonna go back to having six major <laughs> houses with them once they right. get to that level, which is good because it's like you know capitalism. You don't want a mo- you don't want a, a monopoly of stuff because then
1: right. And you know, I know. I think there's really like. Speaking as an author, but, like, also mm-hmm. as somebody who's invested in, like, the publishing industry as a whole. Like, I think it's really good that we have, like, a mix of, like, large and, and small and medium yeah. um, publishers. Yeah. And I think there absolutely needs to be room in this industry for, like, a thriving economy of small indie presses. Yeah. But, yeah, like, some of, the, some of the challenges which you kind of touched on there is, like, you know, indie presses don't have the same budgets that like Harper Collins will have. So like if yeah. you've got this like hot new debut and, like, an indie press wants it, but so does somebody at HarperCollins. Like, well, HarperCollins will be able to outbid an indie press any time. And so, yeah. um, you know, sometimes, like you said, indie presses are taking chances on things that, like, bigger presses, bigger publishers won't necessarily do. But there's a lot of mm-hmm. benefits, to to going with a smaller press um, and working with, like, a smaller mm-hmm. team that's a little bit more focused on, like, you and what you're doing. But I also am happy to see, like, when an independent press like source books, you know, gets in that game, and they they do really well. And um, yeah, and I'm like, you know, I don't know as much about business side of publishing as I do, you know, the craft side of it. But um, same. It's it's nice to – I think it's good to have a variety. And so I'd like to see more of these indie presses succeed. And, I mean, some of them, like we said, like they're really putting out some amazing books that are getting a lot of hype and just as much hype as, you know, some of the books that are coming from big presses and, and have big marketing budgets. So it's really great to see. Yeah. Um, a lot of times these indie presses, sometimes they kind of struggle – for a while, without getting a lot of attention, but then they start to become more notable because they'll get like one best-selling title that really elevates them, mm-hmm. or like a best-selling author or series. And then, like you know, Sam are also known for just like sticking with a certain type of book, like Cinco Puntos mm-hmm. Press. Like if you looked at their list, um, at least their list from you know a few years ago, you could see that they they put out a certain type of book and they do it really really well. And that's kind of how they 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 get known. Um, a lot of of times another way to elevate their their images, you know, they, they tend to be award winners, like Living Kirito, we mentioned, just really killing it with yeah. all the awards. So, yeah, it's just really interesting to look at the landscape with all of this.
2: Yeah, and I agree. I want there to be a variety of presses, like a variety of size, as far as presses are concerned small, medium, large. I think um, that it's just the best for readers and. The reading economy, I guess, as it's it good, were. It's
1: good for authors, too, I think. Yeah. Because yeah. I think there's, like, this misconception that, like... You know, if you go with like a big five press, then like, you know, you're going to be making lots of money, your book's going to get a lot of marketing attention. But then the reality is like, you were like one drop in a huge sea of releases. And and you don't always get like those benefits. But um, then, you know, if you're going with a smaller press, when you're like, you know, one of... Four books being released this season. Like you're going to get a lot more personalized attention and marketing um, help in that way. So um, yeah, the experiences are just going to differ, but I think it's good for authors
2: as well as readers. Definitely. Definitely. They're just good. Support indie, indie publishers in conclusion. Yes. So on (laughs) that note, we're
1: going to tell you about some indie YA books that we, indie published YA books that we think are really great and that we think that you should read. But first, let's hear from our next sponsor.
2: Okie doke. Erica, what do you have for us? Okay, so before we started recording today, I was telling you, Tirza, about how I got this big old juicy box of books from Levine Carrillo, which I'm really excited to read. I have, so a lot of these books I haven't started yet. But they're on my list. I have the advanced reader copies and they sound so good. So this is not Levine Quierdo, Carido. I'm sorry, Levine Carido. This is Peachtree, actually, the first book I'm going to speak about, but it is titled A Warning About Swans by R. M. Romero. And I mentioned an R. M. Romero book. I believe when we were talking about, um, Jewish books, she did a, a novel in verse. She is uh, Latine and Jewish, I believe. So this new one came out July of this year. And it's described basically as Swan Lake meets The Last Unicorn. It's kind of like got some Brothers Grimm fairy tale realness going on. It takes place in Bavaria in 1880. And this girl Hilda was dreamed into existence by the god Odin. And she has like five, six sisters, they can transform into swans. So right there, it's giving, you know, mythology, obviously, Odin is from Norse Norse mythology. But that also kind of gives tease of like, I think how Athena was born. I'm giving side notes anyway. So She goes on this journey, um, into the afterlife, the, or the other wood, as it's called. So she has to fit in at this court and like she has to kind of find her way back to the human world where she will not have to guide souls again. So it's like kind of like a retelling with different elements of other mythology. And uh, I'm like not super familiar with a Swan Lake story, but I am like a little familiar, but it just feels like, it just feels very familiar all in general because like overall, I mean to say, because there are so many elements of like classical, classical Western fairy tales and stuff like that. And so it just sounds really interesting and I'm excited to read it. So again, this is A Warning About Swans by R.M. Romero.
1: It's a great title.
2: (laughs) Yes, it is. Swans are dangerous. (laughs) You know, I respect all birds that
1: are large and, you know, live in bodies of water. I just stay away.
2: (laughs) That is a very specific and yet accurate yes. Just yes. yes to that. <laughs> Tell me you've been chased by a goose without
1: telling me you've been chased without by. Without telling goose. me you've
2: been chased by. A goose. <laughs> oh my oh, gosh! My gosh. Yeah. That is so funny. Geese are also a hot mess, but yes, yes, stay away. <laughs> <laughs>
1: stay oh, away from the geese. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So, okay. My, my next book. Okay. I'll, I'll focus here. My next, uh, my book. Um, <laughs> it is Get It Together Delilah by Aaron Goh. And it is published by Chronicle Books. And I love this book so much. Um, I'm so, like, tragically sad that it's, it's not, like, better known. Um, Aaron Goh is an Australian writer. So she um, she actually has another book that um, has been, you know, published here in the US by a big five. Um, it's called Amelia Westlake Was Never Here, um, was one of my favorite books of a few years ago. Get It Together, Delilah's Aaron Goh's first book. And it um, luckily was brought here by Chronicle Books. So thank you, Chronicle. So it is about um, Delilah. She's 17. She um, is just with her dad um, because her mom has left them. And her dad owns this cafe called the flywheel. And he's her dad's not in a great shape since their mom since her mom left. And so she convinces him like, hey, you should just go on a trip, get away, you know, fix your broken heart, blah, blah, blah. And she is living in the apartment. They share. And they have this manager of the flywheel who is um, like kind of looking out for the the cafe, but also looking out for um, Delilah. And he's only supposed to be gone for like a little bit. But then, you know, her dad is delayed in coming home and he doesn't come home and he doesn't come home. And then the manager all of a sudden disappears. And so it's up to Delilah to basically keep the cafe going. But she also has to start school. And there are these people at school who are bullying her, partly because she is queer. And there's just a lot going on. And it's just this like, really great coming of age story about Delilah and trying to, you know, keep it all together. And she always feels like she's she's not doing enough and also dealing with like a lot of problems while also um, crushing on the girl next door across the street who dances flamenco every night. Um, so, so lovely. I really liked this book a lot. And the cover is really cute, too. It looks like um like a cafe chalkboard yeah. with um. A coffee like a coffee splattered coffee cup on it so it is get it together delilah by aaron go a really great lgbtq ya book um and also sat in australia which is fun um so that's my first bag
2: that does sound really fun i have not read i was gonna say a lot of queer ya from australia i don't know if i've read any ya from australia actually
1: <gasps> i love australian ya oh my god I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm going to make you, you do, do a show. I was, right. like, I was gonna say, I'm gonna make you do an episode on Australian YA with me because I think Australia is putting out some of the best YA that is like fascinating and yeah. like creatively like taking on a lot of creative risks and just being really cool. But tragically, mm. a lot of it does not get published here because the U.S. market is pretty oversaturated with our own stuff. So yeah, that. I'm going to get off my soapbox, but I do love Australian YA.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Off your um, Australian soapbox. I've read Australian fiction, but just not YA. It's been adult. And it was interesting. I felt like I definitely felt there was a distinct difference. So that was an interesting experience. I, of course, am open to whatever you have to suggest and recommend for me to check out. Um, But yeah, that sounds really interesting. So funnily enough, the next book I have is also a queer story. And I feel like it takes place, well, for me, it takes place in a place where I don't usually read about. So it's titled The Queer Girl is Going to Be Okay by Dale Walls. And it's about this girl, Dawn. She's queer And she wants love. Like, she's just like, I want to be in this, like, loving relationship. She really wants that. But she does not have it. And she thinks, like, okay, if she can, like, capture it on film, she wants to make this documentary about it. Maybe if she spoke to people who do have queer love, like, maybe she can get closer to actually having it. So she wants to make a documentary about queer love. And she wants this documentary to help her win a scholarship to film school. So obviously making a movie is tough, especially as a high schooler. So this book is about that process and the process of her finding herself and finding love because obviously she wants it very badly, but she doesn't know how to go about it and how to orient herself in that way to receive it, I guess. And she has some besties, Edie and Georgia, who are there to support her. And they support her and they're supportive. So that's good. Um So this is... Again, this is one I haven't read. I just got the advanced release like yesterday. So ooh. I'm excited to read it. Yeah, I, that's what I said. I said, ooh, because I forgot the ones I had asked for. So it really was like Christmas. Like every time I get like a new book, it's like Christmas. It, every time. It never <laughs> it never gets old. And sometimes I forget which ones I asked for. Um, And each when I open them, I'm like, ooh, <laughs> I make that exact noise. The exact noise that you made. So this is... This is being described as a really like moving and joyful story of queer friendship and girlhood, which I love. And relationships, romantic relationships are important, but we have spoken many times about the importance of friendship. So we have queer friendship here, which is great. And back to the place setting, it takes place in Houston, Texas. I, don't, I haven't read too many queer YA stories that take place in Texas. So although it's still, you know, United States, it's not Australia, you know, (laughs) but it's Houston. I'm like, I just feel like I haven't read too many stories that take place in Houston. So it's supposed to be fun, sad, touching, feeling, all of that extra good stuff. I'm excited to read it. Again, it's called The Queer Girl is Going to Be Okay by Dale Walls. And that's just like an encouraging, like, you know, we all just want to be okay. Like, Yes. I've, you know, I feel it. So I'm excited to read this one. I, I also love the title. It's
1: it's yes. very much like, okay, yes. This is going to be good. Yes, we got this. Right. Yes. Uh, okay. My next pick is Gabby, A Girl in Pieces by Isabel Quintero. And I think I've talked about this book before on this um, podcast because I love it so much. Yes, I remember Yeah, came out from Cinco Puntos Press in 2014. Um, Of course, Cinco Puntos is now part of Lee and Low, but they're all still independent. So, Gabby, a girl in pieces. It is a um, epistolary novel. It's written as Gabby's diary. Um, And what I love about the way this is written is it feels very realistic, written as a diary format. Not just like, oh, here is a book that I'm writing as a diary, but like my character is going to write all of these like beautiful entries about you know their life that are very expository and make you feel like you are reading a novel um, no this book is a little bit more raw it's very much just like immersing um, you into Gabby's world um, There are some really hilariously short entries that I'm like yep that feels realistic um, but it is about Gabby in her senior year of high school and so Gabby is fat and she knows that like boys don't tend to look at her the way they do like her thin best friend who's really pretty um and so this book is about you know she's figuring herself out it's a beautiful coming-of-age story um she's got a lot going on in her life she's you know figuring out she's going to go to college where she's going to go she's trying to get more independence from her mother who is terrified that she'll end up you know pregnant teen mom. Um, Meanwhile, her best friend does end up pregnant um, and her other best friend comes out and is kicked out of the house. And so she's dealing with all of these things um, on top of the fact that like she's got this flirtation with a new cute boy. And her father has a drug addiction that she is also you know, very much affected by. And she also just loves foods, but she feels like she needs to be thin. So there's a lot going on. Um, She discovers poetry, and um, that helps her really find her way. It's such a good book. The cover is a little weird, but once you've read the book, the cover makes complete sense. Mm -hmm. It's just so great. So that is Gabby, A Girl in Pieces by Isabel Quintero. It's won a couple of awards. I cannot recommend it enough.
2: Yes, I remember speaking about that book, especially because the cover was so like visceral and kind of jarring. Yeah. Uh, But when you described it, it's like, oh, it makes a lot of sense. So I like, again, you know, indie presses taking risks on things like that. Um, Artwork and covers and all that good stuff. So next one I have sounds like it's so unique. And just like really interesting. It's titled The Prince and the Coyote by David Bowles. It's illustrated by Amanda Mihangos. And again, I have the advanced reader copy for this. So there are illustrations within it, but they're not colorized. Illustrations in my book are black and white, but the illustrations in the final copies, I was told, will be in color. So that's cool. So the setting for this, another very interesting setting... Um, this is this takes place in the year fourteen eighteen in pre-Columbian Mexico. So, and it's also actually based on like a real ruler from that time. So it follows 15-year-old Ecole Mitzel, who is like the crown prince. He's in line for the throne, and he is uh this like I don't know, what's it like a Renaissance? Not a renaissance man, he's 15, but he's kind of like, he's a singer, he's a poet, he's philosophical. He has all these ideas for how to make his city and his future throne, like, better for his people. Um, He has these ideas for infrastructure, cultural initiatives, all that stuff. But the both sides of his family have been kind of at war. So I guess his mom getting with his dad didn't help. I know usually in, like, royal stories, it's like... You know, if you have two sides who are worrying, if, if there's a marriage that kind of brings them together, but not, that's not the case here. So there's a power struggle. His father gets killed. And so then he and his mother and his siblings go into exile. So they're like running for their lives. And so he runs into the wilderness to escape being killed. And after a coyote helps him, like to survive, he takes on a new name. And this is like, the names are from an indigenous language and called Nahuatl. So he takes on a new name and it's Neza Hualquot, And that means fasting coyote or Neza for short. And so as with this new identity, he steps into A new identity, basically. So Neza now, he is plotting to take back his throne. He goes undercover. He makes alliances, reconnects with his family. And he also actually ends up falling in love with a commoner girl named Sakali. So his uncle is, he has to go up against his uncle, basically, to regain the throne. His uncles are scheming, they're plotting, and for the empire, for control of the empire. So this takes us on his journey to regain his empire. And so there's a lot of action in it. It also has a blend of prose and poetry. And one really interesting aspect of this book is that the author translated surviving poems from the real ruler, Meza. Like, you know, like I said, he was a poet, a philosopher. And so he, the, the author translated from the indigenous language um, some of the poems from the real person so I felt like that was super cool there's also some queer love stories in it I'm just like I don't know the last time I read a pre-Columbian Mexico YA story with uh, indigenous poetry I mean like it's just I'm excited so again that's The Prince and the Coyote by David Bowles illustrated by Amanda Mihangos.
1: Awesome. Yeah, David Bowles has put out some really amazing work. A lot of it has been through indie presses, like some of his earlier stuff was Cinco Puntos Press as well. So that sounds amazing. Yes. My next pick is, um, forgive me if I've told you this before by Corelia Stets Waters. And it actually, um, is from, um, a press called Hooligan Press, which is a university press, which is something that Ooh. we didn't really chat about, um, because there doesn't tend to be a lot of YA put out by university presses, but they, they are also considered, you know, mm-hmm. indie presses. And so this one is a university press out of Oregon. And it's like the um, MFA students that help put these books out. And so that's really cool. And I read this book a few years back. So I'm, you know, not super fresh on all the details, but I remember really enjoying it. Um, and Corellia Stetswaters has um, since put out some um, queer romance um, from, I believe, Berkeley. So that's been, you know, published by big press as well nice but her this book is about um trino and she is this teen in the early 90s she's living in oregon um she lives in rural oregon and she definitely stands out like she's always dying her hair she wears all black you know people kind of see her as the alternative girl And she is bullied horribly, not only by people at school, but also by her very own principal. Uh, So the administration is not nice to her as well. And throughout the story, she realizes that she is queer And she has um, relationships with other girls. And she's, you know, figuring out um, who she is, both from sexual orientation point of view, but also just like who she is as a person. And the cool thing about that is that she discovers a queer community in her rural Oregon town. But also the not so cool thing about that is this whole story is taking place against the backdrop of an important referendum um, that is going to be happening, going to be putting to a vote in her community. And the referendum is very homophobic. And so of course, it's bringing a lot of attention to the community and um, LGBTQ rights are being discussed quite a bit. And so, you know, not only is it hard to kind of figure out yourself, but like also doing so in a very political way um, when um, it feels like, you know, her identity is being up for discussion in her town when it should really just be hers mm-hmm. and hers alone. Um, so it was a really, really great book. I think if you liked The Miseducation of Cameron Post by Emily Danforth, that this would be a really good read alike. Um, so just forgive me if I've told you this before by Corellia Stets Waters.
2: When you first read the title, I was like, it's okay if you told me. You can talk about it. (laughs) I was like, it's fine. Tell me about it again. What is it? I was like, oh, that's the name of the book. Great, great, great. No, that's just the title. (laughs) Yes. Gotta, 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 gotcha, gotcha. I understand things. Yes. I accidentally, I think I forgot to mention, I will put this in the show notes, but I think I forgot to mention the press, the other two books I just spoke about were, and they were both Levine Currito. So there's that. Awesome. Yes. So excited to read those. Last book I have to talk about today is titled When a Brown Girl Flees by Amna Kureshi. And it is by Lee and Lo Books. So this is about a girl, Pakistani girl. She's Muslim. She's a hijabi. A hijabi is just someone who wears hijab. And her name is Zara. So something happens where she makes a decision that is not quite like in line with how she grew up and like what she currently believes. So it's a very confusing time. Um Her mother is controlling and she forces Zara to make a choice about her future. And so Zara is just like stressed out and there are some, you know, heavy feelings to deal with. So she runs away. So she takes a, a train, a plane, finds herself in New York. Right. So now she is kind of like trying to forget what happened and also trying to find herself and also trying to find herself like basically without being controlled by her mother, trying to find out who she is herself without other people's influence, I guess. And so she winds up on Long Island like you do, I guess. I also (laughs) have my I have my time in Long Island. I guess it's just where you go when you're trying to figure things out. She's staying at a bed and breakfast. And again, she's trying to work out things. She's depressed. She's anxious. She is just... Uh, she has a lot of guilt. And she's kind of just walking around without direction. And so she, she eventually wanders into a place that's called a masjid. And she becomes friends with two sisters. And the local Muslim community welcomes her. But then a friend of her family recognizes her and she's like, "Oh crap. Are you going to tell my mom?" And she's like, well, this new like identity, this new place I've been building for myself will it all come crashing down with this?" She knows she can't keep running away from her mother and her family, but she cuz that's just not going to help. You can't keep running away. So she has to I guess kind of bring in her past with her present and like mesh those two things, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So the author has, yes, some real stuff over here. So the author has an interesting note that she put on Goodreads, actually. First, she gives some content warnings for depression, anxiety, emotional abuse, physical abuse, self-harm, suicidal ideation, uh, slut shaming, and PTSD. And she talks about how she wrote, first wrote the book when she was a senior in high school and kind of going through a lot of issues that Zara is going through as a Muslim, as a Pakistani American, as a woman who wears a hijab, and all that stuff. So she also goes on a little more to just just describe how this book is very personal to her. So I thought to include that, and it's on Goodreads if you want to read it. Um, she described the book as being a love letter to oneself, herself, or mm-hmm. so. Yeah, it sounds really interesting. I really enjoyed when we read... Oh, I'm blanking. What was our book club read? By Sabata here? Oh, All My Rage. All My Rage, yeah. That was, you know, just really good. And and for me, I don't know a lot about Muslim culture, Muslim American culture. So that just gave me great insight into that. And I feel like this will as well. Um, so, I'm really excited for it and I'm happy to be able to share it today. So, again, this is When a Brown Girl Flees by Amna Kureshi. That sounds so good. Yes.
1: So, my last pick is also a book that has not come out um, yet, but it is coming out very, very soon. It is um, Before the Devil Knows You're Here by Autumn Krause. Yes. Yeah. I was going to talk about that if you didn't. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) Um, It comes out October 3rd. And the cover is beautiful. Mm -hmm. Um, So this is coming out from Peachtree. And it, like, shows this girl. Her, like, eyes are peeking through. And then there's, like, a bloody hand on the cover. And there's apple blossoms and branches. And then there's, like a bunch of apples on the cover that like show the progression from like a nice beautiful round apple to like more bites taken out of it until there's nothing but an apple core. It's got a lot going on, but like it it really works. Um so it is the publisher's pitching it as like a blend of tall tales and Latin American surrealism and also gothic fantasy. So yes please. Oh um, mm. yeah. Chef's kiss. Chef's kiss, honestly. I know. It's historical. It's set in 1836 with Wisconsin. It is about Catalina who is biracial. Her mother was, I believe, Mexican and her father is white. She is living with her her father and her brother um in this cabin in the wilderness. Um her their mother is no longer with them and it like survival is really tough because it's winter and it things aren't good. Um so Unfortunately, her father falls sick. He dies. And then this strange man creature comes out Mm. of the woods Mm. and he's like covered in bark. He's like, you've got sap and leaves everywhere. And he takes Catalina's brother with him. And so she has to go into the woods to um, bring her brother back. And along the way, she meets a lumberjack who tells her about this man of sap and the sort of, you know, creature he is and there's curses there's there's spirits there's all sorts of really interesting stuff going on so i'm really excited for this book it's also being pitched as like um good for fans of maggie steve otter and aaron craig um if you like that sort of like folkloric horror fantasy yeah definitely going to be a really good pick Um, i did start reading it on my kindle the other day i got an advanced copy and the first few pages were very compelling so i think that this is going to be a very good book so definitely um yeah definitely keep your eyes open for that comes out october 3rd i've been hearing a lot of great buzz about it which is awesome
2: yeah i that reminds me, I was asked if I wanted a physical copy, and the answer is yes, yes, <laughs> yeah. It's so pretty. Yeah, it's so cool, and the story is like, ugh, if you're a seasonal reader, just in time for spooky season. Yeah. So yeah, I'm super excited about that one. Absolutely.
1: So yeah, that is that is all I have for for you all today. Do you
2: have anything else you wanted to add, Erica? No, that's it. Great roundup, great selection. Uh,
1: Such a good roundup, and I hope that, if anything, this podcast episode inspires you to go pick up some some good independently, you know, indie press or independently published YA, um, because there's a lot of great stuff out there, and you've probably already read some and not even, you know, realize that it came from an indie press, so that's also exciting. Right. But yeah, thank you for tuning in and please feel free to leave us feedback about the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify because it helps us know how we're doing, but it also helps others to find us. And if you want to get a hold of us directly, you can always email us at heyya at bookriot.com. Don't forget to visit bookriot.com for newsletters, podcasts, all things bookish, and bookriot.substack.com for the deep dive. Thank you to today's sponsors for making the show possible. And thank you, as always, to our amazing audio editor, Jen Zink, for making us sound great. You can follow me on Instagram. I hang out at Tears of Price. What
2: about you, Erica? I'm on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's- like I I'm on Twitter. Twitter at Erica no. underscore EZE underscore. I notice how you don't mention Twitter anymore. That's why I said it like that.
1: <laughs> Technically, I do still have a Twitter account, yeah. but I have not touched it in weeks, yeah. if not months. So, yeah, that's all I right. Feel we, I feel nobody you. Nobody holds it against you.
2: Thank you, it's you for hard understanding. To, it's hard to give up. It
1: is. <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> we will be back in two weeks with more things bookish. Um, but until then, happy reading.
2: Happy reading.